Acts chapter 8. And, um, and by the way, I was going to mention this earlier, but uh, I got, uh, it was later in the week, but I got Brian's sermon up on the, the website. I encourage you, if you missed that last week, to, to download that and listen to it. It's super encouraging. And a lot of what he said, God's been using this week and ringing in my, my, my head. And um, so it's meant a lot. And um, so back into Acts, and, and you remember that Acts is really the story of how God, how Jesus built the church at the very beginning. And it's part two, and Luke, Luke wrote the book of Acts, and of course he wrote the Gospel of Luke, so you could think of it as a two-part volume, Luke being volume one and then Acts being volume two, but it's all about Jesus. Jesus' life, that's the Gospel of Luke, and then how Jesus worked through his people to begin to build his church. And in, in Acts chapter eight, we're going to be looking at this guy named Philip. And as I was going through uh, and studying this, I decided I wanted to make it into two parts. So we're going to look at Philip today and then Philip next week. And, and to me, it's neat how, just how uniform and how God works through his word. Because as I was studying, I was like, okay, what do we know about Philip? And I went back to Acts chapter 6. We're going to go there in a second. But I just realized how what it tells us about Luke, um, excuse me, Philip in Acts 6 when he's introduced is, is actually kind of an outline of Philip's highlight of chapter 8. And it's really cool. So we're going to look at that in a second, but Acts uh, 1 verse 8 is really kind of a, the outline of the entire book, and I've got it up on the screen. You know, Jesus gave his marching orders to him, and he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he is telling his disciples just before he ascends that he's going to send this power, the Holy Spirit, that's been promised. And it's actually kind of an outline as well for the whole book of Acts because he says uh, first in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. So the first part of the book, we've already been through it. It's, it's all about Jerusalem. So beginning with, at the end of, with Stephen in chapter 7, and now with Philip, it's now beyond Jerusalem to Samaria and Judea. And then, of course, the rest of Acts, it's all to the ends of the earth. It's all about how you guys are going to be my witnesses. I'm going to make you into my witnesses. Um, and, and so we're going to see here in, in chapter 8 how Philip is a witness and the example that we can learn from this. So we can go, let's go ahead and start in verse 4 of chapter 8. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now that scattered is referring to the, to the persecution that just got kicked off in Jerusalem. The leadership, the powers that be said, all right, that's the end of this weird religion. We're going to wipe this out. So it started with uh, the stoning of Stephen, and now they're going door to door and trying to run in this thing. And so the Christians are actually running out of Jerusalem, and as they go, they're actually sharing the word. Verse 5, we find out about Philip. He went down to the city of Samaria, and he proclaimed to them the Christ. Now, that's, the, that's a term that the Jewish people in the, that area would know about. It's, it's, that's the Greek word for the Messiah. And they had all been anticipating and looking forward to the Messiah. And so Philip's just spreading the good news that he came. His name was Jesus. He is the Christ. And the crowds with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard them and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who, who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. 
So there was much joy in the city. So God is doing some incredible things here through this guy named Philip. So again, what do we know about him? I want you to just go a couple chapters back. We get the introduction to him at the start of Acts 6. So just scroll back, turn the page back to to Acts chapter 6. And this is where we're introduced to Philip and Stephen, some other guys. And, And let me just go ahead and read this again. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, so I got more and more people, this is back in Jerusalem, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Those are the Greek, uh, the Greek Jewish people. They had a complaint because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So they had a system where they're taking care of everybody, and they actually had uh, kind of a, some racial tension and cultural and ethnic tension within the church. So, by the way, church problems are been going on from the very beginning. We, we studied this already. And the 12, that's, that's the apostles, they summoned the full number of disciples and said, it's not right that we should, get, we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. In other words, they've got the challenge of growth. It's like because there's so many people, you know, there's, there's challenges. It's like who's going to serve the tables for these widows and solve this problem? And the apostles are saying, guys, somebody's got to solve this problem. It's a real problem. But we need to keep focused on what God's called us to do. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom you will appoint to this duty. So those are the qualifications. And we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, so we already went through him, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip. And then it goes on to list some of the other guys. So Philip is one of those original seven guys that was chosen along with Stephen. And, and I want to highlight in particular, and this is what I was saying about how uh, chapter 8 really goes through these things. What does it tell us about these guys? There's, there's three things, and I'm, and I'm going to have them up on the screen here. They are men of good repute, which is character. It's like people would say, yeah, that, that's a good dude. He, he, he's an honest person. He doesn't lie. He's good in his business dealings. He's fair. He's nice. I mean, you'd say a good person is the way you describe it. Good repute, full of the spirit. And we've talked about that a few times, but next week we're going to get into that a lot more. And that's basically what that means is, Philip is allowing the Holy Spirit to direct his life, is what that means. But we'll get into that more. And then finally, full of wisdom. And I think what that means is it's a person that knows what to do. So they've got this challenge they've got to solve of, of feeding these, these widows. They didn't want to just appoint anybody. They, they also wanted to appoint somebody who knew how to solve the problem. So you've got those three aspects, good repute, that's in other words, high character, full of spirit, in other words, letting God direct their life, and then finally, full of wisdom. In Acts 8, we get two stories about Philip that highlight good repute, which is what we're going to look at this week, and then secondly, being filled with the Spirit and what that looks like and what that means. And so we're going to see a case study of those ideas with this guy named Philip. So jump back to chapter 8 uh, uh, to verse, uh, we're going to pick up at verse Five, no, no, no. Verse four, <clears throat> and and actually, before I jump into that again, I I, I want to just say too that this is important to realize that I think all of this example is for anybody that's in this room, 
right? In other words, we, we see what they do in the Acts, and it's like, good night, that is so amazing, that's impressive. I don't know that I'm capable of that kind of thing. God's not calling us to that kind of thing. What God's calling us to are these two ideas, being of good repute, high character, and being controlled and led by the Holy Spirit. That's something that any of us starting right now can do. It doesn't matter about the past. And I think the important thing to realize is that wherever God has you, he can work through you. And what we're seeing is a man that did some incredible things, but it's because of what God did in his life, not because there was anything special about Philip. And so we'll, we'll get into that more here in a second. And, and, and also, uh, you know, I want to highlight as well that, that this is the kind of thing that we want to celebrate as a church. We want to celebrate these kinds of accomplishments. The, um, all right. One more quick idea about, about Philip. <clears throat> it says at the end of uh, chapter tw- or 21, 8, Acts 21, 8, it describes him as being an evangelist. And I won't get into the details of that, but I think that's, that's, that's something that they discovered later on in Acts, and it was something that was a gifting that he had. I mean, here's a guy that could go into a town and attract a crowd and lead all these people to Jesus. He had a special kind of gift, and that, but again, that gets to his job, um, where God had called him to, okay? And, and he may be calling you to be an evangelist, Every single person here has something that God's called them to. And again, that, it's, it's not something we compare. We're not supposed to look at, oh, who's the most important job? Who's, the, who's got the story that could be turned into the movie? That's not the way we're supposed to do it. I think it's really about being obedient to where God's led and, and called you. That's really the most significant thing. All right, so this week we're going to focus on just that idea of being a good repute, that high character, all right? Now, how much does character matter? Look up on the screen. I've got Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, and God has been ringing this passage in my ear for a couple of weeks now. Just, just listen to this passage. How much does character matter? For this reason, and he's talking about the gospel, because of all that Jesus has done for you, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. In, in whatever God's called you to, you want to be effective. You want to be fruitful, right? You don't want to just like spin your wheels and at the end of the day, it's like, what did I accomplish? I, I, you know, can you imagine a farmer that spends the entire season doing all this work and at the end there's no fruit? There's zero harvest. Like that's the definition of a waste, right? All that time was wasted. I want to be effective, I want to be fruitful. And he's, he's saying right here, the person that's going to be fruitful and effective is somebody that adds on top of their faith, so starting with the gospel, I'm adding these kinds of ideas, this virtue, self-control, uh, all those kinds of things adding on to my life. And that's the person that God will use. Because remember, 
It's not Philip. It's God working through him. It's not you. There's nothing special about you or me. It's God working through us in the place that he has for us. So character is a big deal. So back to Acts. I'm going to start at verse 9. <clears throat> but there was a man named Simon. So, so Philip encounters this dude named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Now, it doesn't tell us much about this magic. Is this magic like just like uh, tricks, you know, and sleight of hand kind of stuff? I don't know. He's, but he's like a big deal. Like people go to this guy and they're entertained by him and he's attracted big, big attention. Maybe he's using some type of, you know, supernatural and demonic forces or something to, to do powers like that. I think that kind of thing exists. It absolutely exists. And so that's possible. It doesn't tell us. But he was a big deal. Verse 10. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. So that's a, a key phrase there. Like everybody knows Simon. Like, have you guys seen the latest show that Simon's done? Yeah, he's got it going down at the, at the casino on every Friday night. You go see Simon. It's like, oh, wow, his show is amazing. I mean, everybody watches Simon. And they said, this man is the power of God that is called great. So they were attributing it to supernatural. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. These are all key words to, to think about. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 13, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles he performed. Everyone was amazed. So here's, that's the setup. It's like this super popular guy that everybody watches and everybody's amazed by. Him, as long as, 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 including his entire audience, accepts the gospel from Philip. They become Christians. This is awesome. Philip is now, I mean, Simon is now going with Philip. And then verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God... They sent to them Peter and John. So these two apostles leave Jerusalem, head up to Samaria, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, so these people accepted the gospel. Then these two apostles come up from Jerusalem, laid their hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came onto them. Now, so there was this delay there, and I'm not sure that I fully understand why that was, because that's not the way it works today. And, of course, later in Acts, there wasn't those kinds of delays. But, we'll, but I think what's going on there is that God and the Holy Spirit are wanting to keep this thing tight. Like, like God is working, and he is trying to say, okay, I'm going to work through my apostles. He's trying to really establish the apostleship, I think, at the beginning, Right? So there's a lot that we could discuss on that, but I think that's part of the reason why there was that delay. But he wanted those people to really be clear about how he is working through his apostles, okay? And then verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered money saying, 
Give me this power also so that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. You see what he's saying? He's like, wow, this is pretty cool. Here's some cash. I got a lot of money. Could I have that power too? Verse 20, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Now, what happened to Simon? I think what happened to Simon is that he kind of missed the attention that he had. And then he sees the apostles come up and, whoa, they lay hands, pray, and then this power comes on to people. It's like, maybe I could get in on some of that. I mean, the, the text just spends lots of time letting us know that everybody paid attention to Simon. Simon is the man. But as soon as the gospel comes, it, the party's over for Simon, and I think he's missing that. Now, it says and makes clear that Simon believed too. Okay? So I don't think this is a, there's any question about his faith here. But Simon's saying, you know, I'd like some of that attention again. The ends do not justify the means when it comes to the mission of God. If, if we achieve good things with bad means, that's not okay by the way God works. And, and, and think about, too, from, from our perspective. I mean, just like, like put on the American Christianity hat. I mean, here's this popular guy. I mean, like, I don't know who's a, an amazing magician that could come to, I mean, let's say Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller uh, give themselves to Jesus, and it's like, wow, so amazing, and their whole audience even comes to Jesus. I mean, I think that the way the American church, the way I would think would be, let's make Penn and Teller pastors, because they've already got this audience, and they already know how to hold a crowd. They know how to speak and to, and to entertain and to bring... I mean, think about all the extra people that come into the kingdom. I mean, we justify all kinds of things just to get what we think are good means. Character matters. Being of good repute matters. You know, we, we don't want to hear... We don't want to hear what they, what they say in verse 21. He says, you, ni- you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Simon isn't interested in bringing glory to God and helping more people find freedom in the gospel. Simon's interested in getting the crowd back, looking at him. And, and I think it's important to note that they say heart. Heart heart because what God wants is our hearts transformed right we out of the abundance of our heart the mouth speaks right so why do we tell a lie at work why do we lie to our boss that that we're actually not as far along in the project as we really are it's wrong to lie but it's because we're pursuing some kind of heart thing like we want to make sure that we get the credit and we want to make sure that our reputation is protected and we don't want the boss to think low of us. You know, or, or I've used this example a lot. It's like, why does the toddler hit 
the other toddler when the toy gets taken away from them. It's wrong to hit people. But the hard issue is because I want what I want and nobody else can have it. Right? I don't, I don't, and I've said this many times, I don't struggle with the temptation to hit people. Right? That's, I've grown out of that. But I definitely struggle with the heart issue there of envy and, and, and jealousy and selfishness. I mean, that is in my heart a lot. The heart matters. Or, you know, this is the time for taxes, right? We're, we're filling out our tax forms. Anybody? I just did my taxes last week, and I felt the temptation because I'm putting in some income that is just cash. It's so easy to just, like, I, I don't need to report that. I just skip that. That's a lie. I'm not doing it just because I want to have more. I mean, because I want to lie. It's, I, I, I'm tempted to do that because I love money. I want that money for me to do what I want to do with it. That's, that's the heart level thing, right? So we don't just want to deal with what's on the outside. We want to deal with what's going on in the heart. The heart level is what, what produces those outward things. And then look at verse 22. It gives us a little more insight into his heart. The apostles, they tell him, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible... The intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness. And that that word gall is like bile. You know, it's the junk that comes out of the gut of bitterness. And in the bond of iniquity. And, and, you know, so what's he doing? he's, he's, He's bitter that the crowds aren't coming to him. The crowds are going to guys like Philip now. And he's in this bond of iniquity. And I think what that bond is, is like he misses the glory that he used to get. But God doesn't share his glory. God does not share his glory with anyone. And, and I, think it's, I think it's also helpful to, to, to really see sin at the heart level the way God sees sin. Like, I don't know that, I mean, it's like, I mean, would I, if I was to confront Simon, would I say, dude, you've got the gall of bitterness and you're in the bond of iniquity? I mean, that is pretty harsh language. But I think what this helps us to do is like see sin from the way that God sees sin. It's disgusting bile. And because it's so common to us, I think because it's so common to us, it's not that gross to us. Because, because again, I think you could set up a debate. It's like the apostles are saying, you're in the bond of iniquity and you've got the bile of bitterness. And the other saying is like, look, he just wants to give money. Don't you need money as a ministry? Don't the apostles need money? He wants to support your ministry so that more people can hear the gospel. That's the two sides of this argument. But God doesn't see it. Like, I mean, God does not need our money and God doesn't need anything that we bring to the table for his mission. He chooses and wants and loves to work with us. It's awesome. It's a, it's a privilege that we get to join in what he's doing. I think we need to see that heart sin like bile. I mean, like see it from the way God sees it. Don't justify it with, look, I'm, okay, yeah, my motives aren't that great, but I want to give money to this ministry. That's what Simon wanted to do. I mean, he's, he's a donor. He's a big donor. I just want more people to hear about Jesus. How is that bad? That's Simon's perspective. 
But it's very different than God's perspective. And I think the, the answer is right at the beginning of verse 22. It's repent. It's repent. Repentance is not just, I'm sorry. You're right, God. Repentance is, I'm sorry, and I'm now changing direction. That's, that's true repentance. I, I can't say, you're right, God, I shouldn't have that heart of envy. You're right, God, I shouldn't have that heart of judgment. You're right, God, I shouldn't have that heart of love of money. And then continue in that. It's turn. It's, it's go a new direction. Verse 22, and Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And I, it doesn't tell us what happens with Simon, um, but I am going to be the optimist that I am and presume that based on his statement there that he's shocked, like he's confronted adequately with his sin and that he does turn and, and, and God moves on. And that's great. This is the repentance that's available to us. And this is why I say that it really doesn't matter what happened before you came and sit down in the chair you're sitting in right now. I mean, you can stand up from this chair and go out there and good repeat. I mean, it's like, I just have to repent. Just, just let God speak in your heart. It's like, in other words, it's like seeing that, okay, yeah, there was this thing. I was tempted to lie there or I did this thing. But what is the heart level thing? If you dig down to the root, what produced that sin? That's what I want to repent of. And I want to give it to God and, and, and claim his forgiveness and his grace. When we, when we repent, our, repent and humble ourselves before God, his grace floods into us. And let me tell you something. This is the kind of person that God was going to use, that God wants to use. And, and, and again, I don't, I don't know your future story. God does. I don't know the circumstances of exactly where you are in your life. God does. There, there isn't a circumstantial problem in your life that's blocking God from working, Okay. God is going to work in the way that he wants to work in your life exactly where he has you. It's not, in in other words, don't be tempted with, man, I wish I could be more like Philip. If I had the ministry of Philip, I think that's what Simon was doing. He's like, I want to be a Philip. I want to be that guy and have that kind of attention. I think that's missing it. God's got you where he wants you exactly where he wants you. And he is offering you his grace to cleanse and to purify and to grow you into a person of good repute, a person that he can use. It's the God that, it's the kind of person that God will use. It's because we want to be effective. I want to be fruitful. Who does God use for his mission? It's that person of good repute that person that it's filled with the Spirit. And we'll look more at filled with the Spirit next week. And again, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what your past is. Today is a new day. Today is the day of repentance. And you know, we do uh, the Lord's Supper every week, and it's, it's such a great opportunity for us to, to review our heart. It's like, God, search my heart. 
Where am I at right now? Is there something, Lord, that I'm holding on to and I'm not letting you have? Lord, you can have it. You can have it. Forgive me. Help me to move in a new direction, in a direction that's for your glory, not for my glory, in a, in a direction that's for your name, not for my name, in a direction that's for other people, not for me. Whatever, I don't know what it might be. God knows. So as we turn now to the Lord's Supper, and we'll have a, a time to pray here and reflection as the music's playing, um, just ask, bow your head and ask the Lord, God, what, what is there? What is there that I need to, to repent of? What's the heart sin, the condition of my heart? Lord, where's the bile? Where's the bond of iniquity? God, I, I want to give to you because he's come to give us life, to give us freedom from all those things. It's so cool. It's so encouraging. Let's pray.